Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. I'm Tony Heil, council member in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania, right near Philadelphia. And if you've listened to my podcast before, you know that I've talked to someone in every state in the country, including D.C., from borough council like myself and school board and state rep all the way up to U.S. Congress uh, and U.S. Senate with Senator Casey and members of Congress like uh, Jamie Raskin in Maryland, who is dealing with crazy stuff going on down there. But there is crazy stuff or important things happening in every state. And one of the states that I have always liked going back to on my podcast is the first state where I was ever politically involved, Iowa. And I, my first career, my first jobs and campaigns were in 2002, which makes me feel old now because it was 20 years ago. And I'm going to feel old today talking with my new best friend, Roz Smith, who is running for governor of Iowa. And he's going to hopefully inspire you to realize why you should be a candidate maybe where you are. And maybe you should pay attention to the Iowa races as well uh, to Get involved and make sure that no election goes uncontested uh, no matter what. Roz has a great political background, uh, both with himself and his family, something that I think we can all be proud of, and I'm excited to learn about it today. So, Roz, thank you for joining me today. Tony, thank you for having me this morning. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, so I, um, I, I had not talked with you before, and like I said, I had experience working in Iowa with the coordinate campaign 2002 where I met Tom Harkin, Tom Vilsack. Um, but you actually have a very um, uh, impressive background for politics in Iowa, right? Like you you and your family. Well, yeah, so we've been engaged as community activists for a long time. Uh, it's funny, my, my mother spoke prior to me at one of our uh, UAW strike locations here. And uh, a lot of us were like, we don't want to have to follow her. But I was next in line, <laughs> so I had to speak um, after her. But my, my family's been engaged um, in, in, in community activism for a long time. And for me, I'm, I'm actually fairly new to politics. Uh, you know, going into my sixth year in a legislature, uh, prior to that, I was working at a middle school as a family support worker, a uh, social worker, making sure that students and educators' needs were being met. Um, and so to kind of parlay that into public service is, is something that's right in line with, with my family's beliefs of you get engaged, it's just what you do. Um, not just on the weekends. Yeah, and you know, I, I was talking to someone recently in, in politics. The jobs, especially in a state level, that are very overrepresented. Maybe not in Iowa, but in, here in Pennsylvania and other states, are things like lawyers, um, real people in real estate, people who are retired because they have the time to campaign the kind of jobs they do. Um, and we don't have a lot of social workers or people with that background in office, right? Oh, 100%. I mean, the Iowa legislature is full of folks right, who can who can afford to, to do that, right, as they're retired or have their own law firm. They, they can take the time to campaign and vote. You know, I, we have a citizen legislature. And so I, like some of my peers, we work. Um, and I'm out there Monday through Thursday um, from January until April, depending on the session runs long. And we're right back at work. And sometimes we're working that night of in the morning before we get to the Capitol. And I know right now in Iowa, there is a lot of things happening with the labor movement. Uh, and I'm learning not just in Iowa, but across the country, people are talking about striketober, going to strike November, you know, depending on the month. Um, and it's kind of exciting to see some new energy in the labor movement on that. But you see all of these people with real hardworking jobs, whether it's John Deere, which I know you're going to talk about, or Kellogg's and other parts of the country, where they're not represented in politics, not necessarily because of 
how much money they make. Like they're not elite like that in terms of money, but just about the amount of time it takes for a working person to get into government. Is that something that you see there? Oh, it's definitely a sacrifice. Um, you know, for me, my belief, my conversation with my wife when we decided to do this was that I'm going to give it 10 years, um, 10 years, run as fast as I can, exhaust myself on this work. And then it's somebody else's turn. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I believe that if we have that mindset, then the, then the average everyday person who reflects typically the needs of the masses um, can do this job. Um, but it is a sacrifice. I know for me, it's been a sacrifice professionally. Um, you know, I've started my own small business consulting for nonprofits. And I've kind of put a lot of those things on hold to serve an office. And so um, I'll be 34 in, in December. And so, right, this is like the prime earning years for, for most folks. Um, and so for me, it's about doing all that I can. It's okay to make that sacrifice for community because I believe in that. Um, but I also believe in doing the work and then getting out and let somebody else step in and do the work and, and burn themselves out a little bit too because you should. If you're doing this right, it should take a lot from you. Um, it, it should give you a lot as well. We should build relationships um, with, with folks across the state. Um, you, should, you should find meaning in, in every organization that you that you come across that you dive into the issues with. But you should also give all that you have, every ounce of energy to do this work. And I often ask my guests, the first thing I do is say, you know, how did you get involved in the political process at all? But obviously it was always in your life with your mother, with your father, right? So what was it that inspired you to first run for office, though, to say, I'm not just going to vote. I'm not just going to be at picket lines with my family. I'm not just going to, uh, you know, sign petitions. I'm going to make a leap and, and make that sacrifice. So, you know, I, there, there's two things, and, and, and there is some, some space in between the two. I'd say the first was, um, I, the first president I could vote for was Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, he came to the auditorium at my former high school, they had a giant uh, rally for him and was able to stand in line and, and see him and shake his hand. And then I was like, this guy seems like everybody that I know. He seems like just an average person. Um, mind you, he has right a, a, a extremely uh, rigorous background, right? I mean, he's, he's done all these different things uh, that, that most of us haven't done in Ivy League schools and all those things. But the way he carried himself, uh, the, the way it felt, and we felt like your average person. So like, for me, that, that was cool. That was different. Um, and then to follow up some years later, I'm, I'm working at this middle school. I'm doing all I can to my students to be successful. And I continue to find barriers to their success that are systemic. Um, not, no fault of their own. Um, but we're finding a system that is just not helping prop up young people to be successful. Um, I come from Waterloo, uh, which is uh, you know one of the most diverse cities, the most diverse city in the state of Iowa. Oh, I didn't realize yeah, we're a manufacturing town, and, and so um, for me to see so many young people uh, finding barriers to success and, and finding that the system itself what was that real barrier, um, I decided to get more so engaged, and um, my predecessor, Deb Barry, wasn't going to run for office anymore. I know there were some folks thinking about it. They were calling around. I don't think I was on like the top 10 of anybody's list, um, but well, when they got to me, um, I decided to go to the Capitol and visit, and here we are. And so when you first ran for office, because, again, your your family's been involved in the labor movement, um, you have some awareness that maybe a other first-time candidate didn't have. Um, did, were you aware of all of the things that you need to do to run for state legislature at that time? Oh, man, no, not at all, actually. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I knew how to set up an event, right? I knew how to, to, how to, how to organize and get people there. But the uh, official side of the work, I had no idea. Um, you know, 
fundraising was something I had done for organizations, for nonprofits, never for a candidate. Mm-hmm. Um, door knocking is something I had done for other candidates, right, or for initiatives or for Red Ribbon Week or all these different things, uh, but never on behalf of myself as a candidate. And so those are things that were interesting to me and sometimes were daunting. But uh, in Waterloo, I was really propped up by my community. I mean, I've had lots of folks who had done this before and who were willing to serve as advisors to help us, you know, really organize, create the campaign structure for their first time, get a website, um, act blue, all those nuanced things that you have to do, um, making sure you're talking to the right people, right? Because, you know, in politics, if you missed one phone call, you might as well miss a dozen and they're going to let you know about it. And so those are some of the things that I had to lean on community support for um, and, and been really, really blessed to be able to have my community still supporting me now. And, and as I said at the beginning of this, I have experience in Iowa. Iowa had gone for Al Gore, I believe, it voted for Barack Obama uh, both times. And there's obviously been a big switch um, with the politics there. And I don't know if that is because of you know what the parties are talking about, the kind of media people are consuming, all of it together. But... You know, the, the, on not, that's not just on the presidential level, it's on a local level too. State reps and state legislatures all over the country, including here in Pennsylvania, um, where things are changing dramatically in terms of, you know, what the parties represent and the motivations behind them. Were you, what was, what were you surprised by as a state legislator when you went in there? Because suddenly you're not just talking to people like to persuade them on, um, you know, will you do this one thing? Will you support this one issue? But you have to, they're your colleagues. You work with them. Yeah. You know, for me, I came in during the, the, the quote unquote Trump years, right? Mm-hmm. I was elected the same year that Donald Trump was elected. I remember, um, you know, having kind of this victory party and I got to the, I got to the, the, the establishment, um, had a Budweiser sitting in front of me. I looked around, talked to my wife for a second and I was like, um, I'm not really feeling this. Like, how can I, how can I win and this guy win in the same year? Right. Like, how can those things be true at the same time? And I actually kind of shut down the party and went home. Like, it's time to get to work. Like, there's nothing to celebrate. Um, this shows how much work there is to do. Um, but the, the biggest surprise to me um, was the love, the, the the level of contention, mm-hmm. uh, the lack of collaborative uh, work. It, it was really interesting. I, for me, I, I come from a background where I'm used to working on teams. I, I love the team mentality. Um, as a leader, my goal is to always put people in situations where they're strong. Um, I want the best out of everybody that I'm working with. And to come into the Capitol and see a lack of collaborative effort was frustrating to me, but also the pace. Um, within my first year, we had we had debates over collective bargaining, um, workers' compensation, uh, abortion rights, Staying your ground legislation. I and mean, this is all within my first year of, of politics. And so it was, it was daunting. It was overwhelming. Um, but for me, I wanted to learn the process and learn as much as I could. Um, but I also, I would say I was disappointed in the lack of courage. And, and that goes on both sides. I think folks were focusing on issues that were politically advantageous, but not willing to stand up for what we're hearing on the ground. And I think that's been one of the things that's, that has hurt Democrats specifically in this state is our lack of courage. Mm-hmm. We have to be bold. Um, we, can't, we can't be afraid to be Democrats. I've seen a shift in our party. Um, and I think we're shifting to be Republican light at times. And if you give people in this state the option uh, between a Republican or a Democrat that's mm, moderately Republican, they're probably going to choose the real Republican. And so for me, we've got to give a bolder choice, stand up for what we believe in, and push back against some of the things that we know are hurting the islands and their quality of life. And so 
I'm excited. I, I believe in courageous leadership, right? If you're going to do this thing, jump off, jump off the top turnbuckle, right? Go for it. Don't, don't, <laughs> no half-stepping. So uh, it reminds me of a conversation I had with a Texas state rep, uh, Jasmine Crockett, who's one of my favorite people I've talked with this year. She's a younger person. She um, beat back who was the in a primary, uh, the establishment pick. So she kind of came from the grassroots and and kind of challenged the state, the the Democrats in the legislature, saying, you know, we can't just roll over. And so they they had walkouts. They did all these things. They, they spoke up in ways that maybe before they wouldn't have. I, it feels like having younger people like yourself in your, and I feel like 34 is still young. Um, but what is the influence of having more young people step up, especially for elections that maybe they would have thought they weren't qualified for before? Having those new faces come in, especially as Democrats, what what is the impact of that in politics? Well, I, I think if we want to, if, if we look at old problems with the same lens, we're going to continue to find right the same solutions. But if we use new eyes, look at old problems, we can find different solutions. And, mm-hmm. and for me, there's a lot of us, a Democrat and Republican independent, that want the role of government to change. You want to evolve this thing a little bit. Um, government seems to have lost its social contract with the people. And, and we come from a different lived experience. We come from experience where social media technology has been an extremely important and influential part of our lives. And so we're having conversations about Facebook and what they knew and when they knew it and how they're utilizing their platform for, to, 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 for evil, I guess we can say, quote unquote, right? We understand that because we've lived that. And so when we're making informed decisions based on, based on data and lived experiences, or some of my peers who've been there for 20 plus years, right? They're learning these things for the first time. And institutional knowledge is important. I, I, I don't want to uh, minimize that. But at the same time, having folks who are building policy for their future is important. I'm invested in IPERS. I'm invested in retirement because that's my future in the next 30, 40 years. Um, but folks who are already there are trying to preserve what exists now. And we have to have a vision for 10, 15, 20 years down the road. Um, that's the role of the executive of our state. I'm excited to be running for governor because I believe in the future of Iowa um, and, and laying out a platform and a foundation that's broad and that gives us a peer view into what the future looks like, not just addressing the needs of yesterday. Yeah, I think that's very important, and especially for a lot of issues I know that we both care about. Um, now you're running for governor and you are thinking about issues, the impact of them, not just for the next year or two, but the next 20 years, which not enough people talk about. What are the things that you think as an executive, as a governor of Iowa, you could work on that you would see as having a long-term impact? You know, for me, I'm going to stay in line with the work I've done. I've tried to always be a courageous leader because I don't have a my, my clock is ticking. Right? Once I started this work, my 10-year clock started ticking. And, and that being my truth, I've tried to be bold and courageous with everything that I've stepped into. Um, I think that starts with education. Um for me, the, the way we educate students has to look differently. Uh, our, our public schools have to be supported, but they're more than just an academic center now. They're community centers, and we have to treat them as such. Um, for me, this means point of source services. Uh, if you live in rural Iowa or urban Iowa, right, it, every school you go to should have a clinic attached to it so that the students, the parents can get brain health services, basic needs, whether they be glasses, uh, their physical, and then mm-hmm. let them go and learn. I, I think that's okay. And the data shows it's helpful. There's better outcomes for students and families. Um, but we also have to get government out of the way of deciding what curriculum we can teach. 
Uh, our communities are becoming more diverse, more inclusive. And if we continue to be a barrier to that as government, uh, we're, we're going to continue to see ourselves failing students and not providing them the globally competitive uh, resources that are necessary for them to be successful in the future. I also think that we're talking about $15 an hour, and I can tell you that's not earth-shattering. Um, you're not changing anybody's uh, course trajectory with $15 an hour. We're talking about just over 30 grand a year. If you're a father of two like me, right, 12000 of that is going to be spent on child care. So that's well, just over 30 grand, right? Yeah. After tax, I'm probably down to closer to $16,000. Um, so you give me just over $1,000 a month, I have to still pay for groceries, car note, mortgage, or rent. Good luck. Good luck making it. And so we're not talking about $15 an hour. We're talking about finding job opportunities for folks that pay $50,000 a year. That way we can stop focusing on the next paycheck and start planning for the next generation. And then lastly, clean water. Um, in, in the state of Iowa, man, you're hard-pressed to find a lake that you can jump in. I'm an avid hunter. Um, I go duck hunting often. I took my dog out a couple of Sundays ago, and I didn't see any birds fly over. And I was thankful because when I looked at the pond, there was so much blooming algae. I was not confident sending my dog into that water to retrieve a bird oh, wow. because I was thinking about the respiratory impact they may have and, and losing my, my, you know, uh, my, my dog, my my partner in the hunt, but also my, my, my girl's little brother. That's, you know, he's the brother to them. So I, I'm, I'm concerned about those things. Those are immediate needs that we have to address for the longevity of the state of Iowa. And there's economic impact to not having clean waterways. There's definitely a health impact to people across this state. And so being bold about addressing education, job opportunities, and our waterways, that's first and, you know, first and foremost. Those are basic needs for every community. You know, I, I you talk about economics as myself. My youngest son, he's five. He's now in kindergarten, public school, which means we don't have the same child care bill we had two years ago when two kids were in daycare, which was at least the cost of our mortgage. Do you, as a legislator, and you have, you know, you're a father. Um, do you think that other people in politics understand what families are going through when it comes to just? the challenges of raising a child in 2021? I think so, but I think that there's a disconnect, right? Mm -hmm. There's not a whole lot of folks who, for, for, for example, um, I represent House District 62, which is Northeast Waterloo. We're in the Northeast corner of the state of Iowa. And my legislative district, the average or the, the medium home income is $39,000 a year. 39 grand a year mm -hmm. in my district. That's the lowest in the state. Now, I, I, I contrast that with places in West Des Moines where the average is $109,000 a year. The wow. struggles in my neighborhood and my community are very, very different. Mm -hmm. um, I share in those struggles. I'm not a wealthy person. Um, right? my, my wife's a public school teacher. Um, right? I work for nonprofit organizations. We don't make a whole lot of money. And so for me, before and after school care, it's a big deal because that that's $250 a week that I don't, that I don't have to spend on anything else. I don't have to invest my retirement. And so when I talk about the need for universal pre-K, when I talk about the need for child care providers to be paid well, but also for free child care for, for folks across this state, I'm, I'm not talking just because of my constituents, but I know what that struggle is like. Um, and yes, you can, you, 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 can, you can make sacrifices and make do, but at the end of the day, if mine is a minority perspective, but, but the majority of folks out in the community are dealing with this, then, then there lies the rub. And we haven't we haven't had representation, I believe, in a meaningful way to address the issues of people 
um, we, we're finding folks who are doing what's politically advantageous. And so, um, to be honest, we have a lot of people in the legislature that are cutting off their nose to spite their face just to get reelected. I don't understand that mentality, uh, but I can tell you it's having an eroding effect on the state of Iowa. Yeah, it seems like so many people these days, um, in both parties, but more so with the emerging hard right on the Republican side, it's not as much about you know, bringing people together and winning a majority of your district is about winning the primary and beating, you know, just trying to outflank the more conservative member. And so, and a lot of times it leads to very cruel rhetoric and cruel policies that don't help anybody. With that in mind, you know, the legislature is going to be, if you have an uphill battle um, there and, and obviously a tough election, let's say you win, how would you anticipate through your experience getting some of those priorities done what what do you think you can accomplish instead of just because right now we learn with joe biden you know p1 but he's got a very narrow majority and he has a majority and it's very hard to pass all the things he wants what do you think you can do if uh, you become governor well relationships matter Mm -hmm. Um, you know as being in the legislature sometimes relationships matter more than your party affiliation yeah right that, that often is your compass as to what you can achieve and what you can achieve. And so for me, I'm, I'm an Iowan. I'm born and raised in this state. Um, my family has a small farm in Grundy County. We grow strawberries and asparagus. And so I can relate. Um, there's very few Iowa experiences that I cannot relate to because this is home for me. And I've, I, I, I've had broad experiences. I mean, someone who lives in Waterloo, but spends a lot of time in rural Iowa. As you know, the beautiful thing about Iowa is that you get to be everything. To make anything work, you almost got to be everything, right? And so I get to be a father, a son, a hunter, a farmer, a black man, a coach, a counselor, all these things. And I get to use all those experiences to build relationships with folks, to help individuals see me and themselves. And my goal is not to be an obstructionist governor. I'm going to get some stuff done. And that means building upon the work that I've already done in the legislature. Uh, my first year under a Republican trifecta, I was able to help pass legislation to broaden educational pathways for students in the state of Iowa. Uh, a few years back, I was able to, in a Republican majority, again, Republican trifecta with Kim Reynolds as governor, pass small business reform legislation. Uh, and then last June, in the height of political divisiveness, in, in the wake of the murder of George Floyd, when racial tensions were at, at height, I was able to pass police reform legislation with Iowa being one of only three states in the nation. Mm. Uh, we passed what we call the plan for a perfect union and we banned chokeholds in the state of Iowa. Um, you know, for me, that was hard work, but we passed that at 150 to zero with governor Reynolds historically signing it in less than 24 hours. Um, that was relationships. It was hard mm. work as well, right? It meant going to meetings with black lives matter, going to meetings with law enforcement, meeting with Senate Republicans and, and house Republicans and, and then starting all over again and doing that in the course of two weeks, um, for me, that that is now the expectation. If we can do those things in that moment to pass that type of legislation with all the outside influences that were telling us, no, we couldn't get this done, I'm going to build off that success. Um, to me, that shows what we can accomplish if we come together and are willing to do the hard work. So I, I think it's really awesome, especially the uh, the plan for a more perfect union. What? How did that come together so fast and so successfully? Because... You know, so many other states talked about it for a couple of weeks and then they're like, well, we can't do it. Or someone said, I don't want to give so-and-so a win. 
uh, you know, that's a that's a big accomplishment that, you know, not just at a political level, but on a personal level, even though you're not wearing one right now, you could always hang your hat on that. I think for me, to be honest, Tony, it, it, I, there, there's no tomorrow in mm-hmm. this, right? I mean, if, if our goal is to not give the other side a win because the next election cycle, in my community, that means people like me might still die. And and, and, and I know um, it, it took a while to maybe kind of acknowledge this for myself. Uh, I'm working on not being so hard on myself and being more reflective, but a peer of mine told me that because of that legislation, another black man in the state of Iowa will be alive. To me, that means something. Yeah. So it, it, it's it's worth giving Republicans a win, quote unquote. It's worth all the political capital that, that I spent to do so. Um, because we don't get a lot of moments like that. We don't mm-hmm. get a lot of moments to act courageously and, and give all that we have to something. And there's something uniquely beautiful about that in politics. To be politically, uh, policy-wise, on the right side of things on, in the right moment. Like we, we never get that serendipitous moment in politics. So how dare we not act on it? And mm-hmm. so for me, it, it was less about um, giving parties wins and, and saying what we can or can't do. Um, I circumvented the lobby because I knew that that was going to be the entity that slowed the process down a bit. But at the end of the day, and we wanted this done and I was willing to do whatever it took. I was willing to risk reelection. I was willing to have it come up for a vote and fail. Um, because that, that's what courage means. We can't be afraid to be bold and step out on faith sometimes. And so for me, um, this was one of the moments to demonstrate that we can do hard things. Um, what's existing right now is not normal. And so let's come together, do, use all that we have to pass legislation. And do I think that will ever happen again? I'm hopeful. Mm-hmm. I'm hopeful that when we have the gumption to, to, to muster up that type of courage once again, I'm hopeful it becomes normalized. But until then, We'll continue to spend the time, lose the sleep, lose the hair, and do the work. So it sounds to me like if you were governor and you had a priority to get universal pre-K or and or clean water, and you know there would be the Republicans like we'll take that on, we'll win on it, we'll be the ones that you, you wouldn't care. You'd be like, great, I'd love for you to win on clean water. That means that we get clean water. We get clean water, and, and I will say this: I think um, the only reason that Republicans can win on these things is because they're willing to go out and message them. Mm-hmm. They're willing to try to own them. Um, as Democrats, I think we're hesitant. We're trying to, we're too worried about getting it right all the time. And amongst the populace, they don't really care right. how we talk about it. Let's simplify these things. Uh, for me, on our campaign, I, I'm, I'm not willing to be lost in translation. If, if I say climate change, you say weather patterns, I don't care what you call it. Mm-hmm. Let's find a solution. If I'm saying equity and you say fair, I don't care. We're talking about the same thing. Right. Let's find some solutions to take care of these problems. But I think oftentimes as Democrats, we're too dang smart for our own good. Yes. <laughs> and um, for me, it's about speaking the real language of people. Um, when my dad was hanging out with his John Deere friends in the garage and they were playing cards or whatever, they didn't talk about topics like equity, they, but they did know that their contract to John Deere had to be fair. Mm-hmm. They had to feel respected. Those are things that for me, those are our pathways into breaking down these barriers to folks that haven't voted for Democrats in a long time. These are our avenues to have conversations with demographics that haven't heard from us. Let's go out to rural Iowa. Let's talk to folks who are historically conservative about what they want to see the future of Iowa look like. And maybe we don't agree on everything, but their kids still got to go to school. They still need jobs. They still need to go to a grocery store that doesn't say Dollar General or Family Dollar on it while they're surrounded by acres and acres of row crop and can't find fresh food anywhere. 
They still need the basic necessities that all of us do. So let's go to those spaces, have these conversations the way that people can hear us. Because um, to be heard is so important. But I can tell you, we see if we have so many folks across this country that feel like they're not being heard by elected officials. That's a problem. And I think Democrats win there. We're, we're compassionate. We have broad understanding. Um, but we can't just say we have a big tent. we got to show we have a big tent. Right. So you are running, I, I believe, to be the first um, uh, black man to be governor of Iowa. I might be wrong. You know, who knows? Um, but uh, we also have, and I see the title belt behind you, the first um, black man from Iowa who is a WWE champion in Big E. Is that kind of an inspiration? Like, there's a there's a change, right? Like, I'm I'm a big New Day fan. I've been watching more AEW than WWE recently, yeah. but um, you know, he it's a he's also a force of positivity, as you can see, yeah. and a Hawkeye. Um, what does that kind of you know, popular kind of image do to maybe help the greater cause. Yeah, I, you know, for me, it's a way to, we're, we're connected through these things, through these experiences. Um, you know, my, I grew up in a household like a lot of folks did, where on a Monday night, right, me, my little brother and dad were watching wrestling and mom was like, turn that off. And mm-hmm. My dad was turned that off, right? <laughs> yeah, mine too. <laughs> a lot of us have. And so, if we don't utilize those things to humanize our experiences, though, we're missing. We're missing so much opportunity there. And so, uh, for me, I, I identify with the folks. I mean, Undertaker is my favorite. Mm-hmm. He's my favorite wrestler, right? Before that, it's, you know, it's Undertaker, then it's probably Sting, then Farouk, then The Rock, and then Ultimate Warrior. We can keep on going, right? Um, Nation of Domination is like one of my favorite things ever. <laughs> well, there's a little bit of a conflict there with Ultimate Warrior, but the rest of them are good. <laughs> Well, I know, I know. It was just the way he raised out on the ropes, man. Like, you know, like every kid did that. Every yeah, did I know. That. I had that too. <laughs> but I think that for me, though, those are the connectors. And having those individuals that can break through those barriers, then we are, we're not just identifying as one thing. Mm-hmm. And so for me, being a black man running for governor of Iowa, you know, being a black man is just as much Iowa as anything else. Yeah. Um, as anything else. I, I, I became a climate change activist because I became a conservationist through my love for hunting. And I found that my, my favorite spots across the state to hunt, um, either they were dried, they used to be a creek bed, they were dried up, or it wasn't climbing pheasant because, right, we were having so many so much flooding that they never had a chance to really nest in the spring. All those different things that I find as, as connectors to folks in rural Iowa, or connectors to folks that may not be black or from Waterloo. Those are opportunities to build relationships to get stuff done. And I'm excited about that. I'm excited to bring this diverse background on these, these different lived experiences, uh, the, the, the professional insights that I've had to show that as a state, we can be better than this. We can be an inclusive place where everybody feels like they have value. We can retain our talent and attract globally competitive talent to the state of Iowa because I believe in this place. Well, it sounds like you have a lot of positivity going for you as you try to run for governor. You know, speaking of Big A, Big E, not Big A, Big E, um, you could always do a Roz Smith Rocks like New Day chant for you. So you got a lot going on there with the right syllables in your name. Um, But speaking of your name, speaking of what you're doing, uh, if you run for anything now, whether it's Senate or governor or borough council, people around the country need to know your name so they can follow you. What are the best ways for people to follow you on social media, online, uh, however, if they want to uh, see more and maybe be engaged in your efforts? 
Yeah, so we're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We're at Ross for Iowa. That's R-A-S for Iowa. Also, feel free to check out our website at RossForIowa.com. I'm so excited to be doing this work and bringing hope and optimism to the work of, of politics. I believe in this. Um, we can do so much better. And so I, I look forward to continuing to, ch- to channel, challenge the norms, um, but also creating an Iowa where everybody has value. That, that's our goal, and we're going to stay busy doing the work. Great. Well, I, I wish you the best of luck in that work. Definitely follow Roz for Iowa. I think you will be very happy with the positivity he's bringing, whether it's in Iowa or any other state. That's what we need. Thank you so much, uh, Roz. And if you're listening, maybe you should run for office too.